chocolate earth I always put you first That may be the worst or the best thing Welcome to The Exchange, presented by Ohm Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey. I'm Mike Ferguson. This is Episode 7 of Season 2 and our 18th podcast. In this second part of a two-part episode, Mark and Todd continue their conversation on customer training. As Part 1 came to a close, Mark had just finished talking about the times he's tried to talk restaurant customers out of offering espresso. And now, here they are. Mark and Todd. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I feel like to train on uh, a steep and release method like French press or, you know, to do a, a particular drip method like Chemex or some, something like that. Yeah. You're essentially teaching it once. It's easy to communicate within the team, you know, when you're not there. And then you're communicating updates to recipes when coffee's change, yes. right? And, and you're also talking about all of these things that are, you know, in that context, ultimately aesthetically pleasing because they may happen table side or, you know, you may leave a timer and the French press right. on the table and it's, right. it's really, you know, kind of cute and amazing and you plunge the French press and you get to pour it for your guests and, and, and then for yourself. And, you know, I mean, there's just so many things around that, but, but through the lens of training, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're simplifying in such a massive way. Um, and you're making it ultimately sustainable. I, I just couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, you know, you're recognizing your audience in saying, yeah, there's a, a ton of turnover, even in the very best of restaurants. Yes. I mean, there's a lot of staff. And then on top of that, there's a lot of transient staff, um, you know, that are going to have to pick this up. And, and can you sustain for a, a 10 pound a week, you know, restaurant client, even though the optics are amazing that you're in that restaurant? You know, the economics do not support being out there every two weeks to support their staff, no. you know, pulling, uh, you know, face melting shots of espresso. So um, I do think, you know, people like yourself who got the ball rolling in that direction, you know, the the market has listened by now. Yeah. Um, though you yeah. probably didn't enjoy it too much at the time. Oh, I hated unfortunately. it. And, and, you know, I had to have outright <laughs> arguments with my my customers. And, and one particular example, this was a very top end wine country restaurant and they um called me in to do um the coffee service and they had the espresso machine where the bar you know the bartender at the bar and and the restaurant you know was serving espresso via the bar and I said that's a terrible idea um get rid of that thing it's an albatross around your neck and you're going to regret <laughs> you're going to regret it and the guy said you have no idea what you're talking about and I said okay let me let me uh, give you this. I'm going to give me four days and I'm going to come back and prove to you that I'm right and you're wrong. And there's going to be no doubt about it in your mind. And then we can talk about the program that I'm actually suggesting. And so Friday night, I went into this restaurant with a, a friend of mine, walked up to the bar, went to the bartender and he said, what can I get for you? And I said, I want 12 mochas. And he looked at me like, you're out of your mind, right? And I'm like, no, I need 12 mochas. I got my friends over there. And he's like, I, I, just, I don't have time for that right now. Because why? He's going to sell mochas at $5 a glass when he could bang out you know, 10 martinis at half the time and make a lot more money. The bartender is di dictating what that business is going to sell and not sell. 
And then I, I had recorded this conversation. And the bartender got fired. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't get fired. But uh, I brought it back to the owner. I said, see, even your staff won't embrace this program. There's nothing you can do to force feed this. It's not necessary. Unless you take that espresso machine and put it in the kitchen and have a dedicated, you know, it's usually the bus boy or somebody, you know, that's, that's trained to do this. Um, mm. You know, there's examples like the Slanted Door restaurant in San Francisco that hired a head barista at 60000 dollars a year base just to to manage their espresso program that's a very unusual story in the scheme of things and how a restaurant operates but outside of that you know if you're not going to dedicate yourself to doing espresso get out of it it's not necessary and if you have it away from you your life gets so much easier as a restaurateur now you're not going to get away with this in a bakery or a cafe you you have to have that you know espresso is a part of your offering or you're going to be in trouble i think you know with uh need donuts you guys don't do espresso correct yeah it's filter coffee yeah only. which works with that I, I i think no general porpoise donuts in seattle had espresso i've seen this elsewhere where they have not done that obviously you know um some of the bigger chains don't don't offer that but i think you can get away with it in the donut world because a donut and a, and a cup of brewed coffee is probably the match made in heaven it's the best combo of flavors you can get out there but if you're sure. a full-on bakery <laughs> or a full-on coffee house you have to have espresso and then that ratchets up your need as a wholesaler to up your training program and your training game yeah but it, i mean this brings us down an interesting path which you know is is taking the restaurant world as it relates to filter coffee and or versus espresso right and you have to look at cafes and you know roasters need to evaluate their wholesale customers uh or at least instruct them and i mean this is sort of a, a fork in the discussion so I'll, I'll i'll tease out one point and then we could migrate to the other but first and foremost the the idea that uh a great cafe serves coffee by you know a myriad of brewing methods it, I, I'm excited because in recent years that has become less and less a thing, and I just I couldn't um, you know be more thankful to see that happen because in the reality from a training perspective that's just totally unsustainable. Yeah. Um, and how many times have you gone into a cafe and asked for the siphon pot, oh, and the the Lord. the poor barista on 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 shift is looking at you like, is there any way I could convince you not to do that? Right. Right, right, and and so the idea. And thank is, God that wow. trend is come and gone. That was oh, just for sure, an abomination. For sure. I mean, it's visually painful, but... awesome. Granted, it, it's always a showstopper, and when for sure, but it is a nightmare to have as a program in your. Uh, yeah, and your but room. but when it's when it's done well, it's amazing, and yeah. it's so cool to try something new. Yeah. But, but you know, it's such an unfair position to put a staff member in. To be expected that, oh, you're going to have to do this once a week, and let's say you work three or four shifts, so maybe your bell gets rung like once a month, yeah. and someone asks for this thing, and you're and they're expecting it to be the best cup of coffee they've ever made. It's by far the most expensive, and you're there just sweating, saying, oh my god, please, let's just hope this goes well. I, I, this thing hasn't been dusted in weeks <laughs> and, you know, and, and that's the experience. So I'm so excited to see that go because, you know, I, I mean, to me, this brings up like challenges in actually training effectively someone who's going to touch 
uh, and engage a piece of equipment so seldom. But also it brings up this this aspect which you you know uh, expressed in your time engaging these restaurants from the roaster perspective. You know the idea that you you also are essentially training in a consultative manner. Right. You know, like you know you're selling that way and you're constantly engaging people saying well you know think about this instead of that and you know have you tried to you know put this together for your program and wouldn't it be great if uh, you know we lined up this way but you know training is one of the hugest ways you know what you really have is a a point of view as a company your your whole uh, concept of coffee and how it should end up in a cup. Right. This is one of the ways that you can actually make that be and help uh, your customers understand and communicate in material, um, you know, what your company is all about. So I, I think that that is another reason there is a huge value on your trainer roles and, and why they're, they're absolutely salespeople in the most direct and meaningful way. Um, and why you should really, you know, think beyond just, hey, uh, co- this coffee's good. Great job. You know, th- you you nailed it on accident and, and I'm done here and I'm out. Um, you know, there's a, a huge value to saying, yeah, you know, we could talk all day about siphon pot coffee or, you know, the Chemex in this case or whatever it might be. But, you know, you're not going to serve any of that here. In fact, right. we've decided collaboratively that that we're going to brew coffee this one way, maybe even by, you know, automatic filter, sure. or, uh, you know, something like this. And, and this is exactly why. And, and here are the critical steps. This is what we're going to do uh, to make the best possible coffee here. And this this is exactly why we're going to do it. The point of view piece is key. And, and you hit it on the head is as a coffee roaster, you need a point of view of what your brand is about. And if you feel suckered into a shop saying, hey, we saw this cool siphon thing at a show and we're going to do it here. The ability for you to make a cohesive argument why that's a bad idea for their business and for your business and why you don't want to participate is key. And secondly, a great training program or a successful, if, if you've been doing this correctly, you're getting something that's repeatable, that's embraceable, that people are that are not your staff are embracing and and re- replicating over and over to their client base where it actually has consistency involved if you have some wonky you know if you're doing siphon training the odds of it being repeated every time exactly the way you train are going to be close to zero because there's too many moving parts to do it correctly for sure. Well, let's let's shift gears here sure. and let's talk about communication style or, uh, you know, kind of how uh, a small and, and growing roaster might market uh, or present their training program. I think, yeah. you know, if you break it up into two main scans or channels, you have like the lab kind of, you know, mad scientist approach or you have Classroom. more like relaxed in informal um, you know, this is us workshopping, making a cup of coffee approach. And I guess my, my main question here is not, you know, what's best because obviously there is no best. It's right. really about what's your brand, what resonates with your brand and, and what supports, um, you know, that perspective that, that is really inherent to your brand. Um, but in your opinion, what do you, what do you think 
actually captivates the audience best? I mean, is there merit to taking the weird, crazy, lab coat-wearing, mad scientist, uber-snooty, coffee pro-type, you know, uh, take that shtick? Um, Or do you feel like a more relaxed and kind of easygoing approach is more palatable when it comes to really engaging, um, you know, the prospective wholesale uh, clients? Well, I see value in both styles. Uh, Personally, I'm more a fan of the relaxed, you know, here are the standards and they're real and they're scientifically based, but it's presented in a this is also like cooking and there's some, some relaxation to it and fun and there's some art to it, but there is a, a, a background of science behind what you're doing. I think that's easier to train a wide swath of people. I don't think it's off-putting. It may be off-putting to somebody who's very you know uptight and wants everything exact. It, that person may struggle in that type of a program versus the you know, and I've seen the Uber Lab training. Um, it, you know, the people that love data and and getting things exact, it's like music to their ears. For everybody else, it's grating and it's uh, off-putting, to say it mildly. Um, and I think you lose people much more in that type of a program because people that are turned off by that super stiff training aren't. They're not going to absorb the information. They're just not going to care. And I think you, if you had the relaxed training program and somebody is craving more hard science, hard data, you can introduce that to them in that same casual way. You can satisfy their need to, you know, why, why are you recommending 15 times water to, you know, to coffee ratio? Why not 14? Why not 16? And that you could explain that would satisfy that, that you know, need. Why are you recommending, you know, a 202 degree water, you know, 198 versus, you know, 215 that you can explain, you know, what happens to the brew when you go up to that temperature? I think that's you could still, you know, cater to that. But if you're running this stiff training program and somebody's saying, you know, what if I wanted to try, you know, pouring a monk's head versus, uh, you know, a, a leaf pattern, or if I want to freeform it, and they're like, no, 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 this is the way we want it done, and this it has to be done in this way for teaching La Terra. We're just doing hearts, or we're just doing, you know, leaf patterns. I, I just think that people that are craving more of um, a, 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 an artistic and culinary experience are going to be left cold on that. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I don't think you need to be so absorbed in coffee science that it alienates the vast majority of your potential customers. In fact, I think it's, you know, counter to your economic interests. Right. Um, but, you know, great training programs are really able to essentially engage what, how, and why, right, at the simplest level. Right. Where you start with what are we doing here? You know, I'm just getting a job. I, you know, I just got hired to this coffee program. I may or may not drink the stuff. I may or may not have an idea about what goes into it. And I may or may not be open to thinking further about it. Right. And, and so the, the easiest way to get the most from a training session is, is, well, Hey, we're going to, you know, we are going to make great coffee. That is our what. And and that may entail these steps, right? And that transitions us to how. Here is how we are going to make great coffee. This is what it is definitively. 
it's measurable, it's simple, it's, you know, it's like a great uh, mission statement, you know, five words or less, something that you can internalize and take away. And as someone who is new to the trade, um, I can I can make it mine. I can know how to do it. And then if and when someone really wants to take a next step, you can load things with why, right? Sure. And and your team should be absolutely prepared. This is like the great footnote in like just a meaty paragraph in, you know, fantastic writing, right. um, you know, where you're like, you know, this is, you know, nonfiction, informative writing. And you're just like, oh my gosh, that sentence is so loaded. You follow it down, you, you know, you see where it's coming from and, and it's just this absolute nerd out on whatever it is, you know, you're digging into. Um, but it's not the type of thing that you just dump on someone where they are all of a sudden having to drink water from a fire hose, uh, you know, on some rant about extraction percentages in the thing. And, you know, I've made the mistake of doing that so many times for my own self-indulgence and realize that just there's there's just little to no return there. And often, you know, you're you're essentially turning off uh, someone that could otherwise fall in love with what they they might be doing, even if it's a fleeting thing, even if it's a seasonal thing for them. Sure. Um, but um, but yeah, beyond that, I think, you know, th there's plenty of room, you know, doing, uh, you know, focusing on the, the what, how and why, uh, you know, specialty coffee from your company's approach, whether you, you know, have a really rigid classroom style or, a you know, workshoppy, you know, super active um, kind of fun and kinetic approach, or you have the kind of, you know, hey, welcome to the, the physics lab. Uh, right. you know, type of approach. You can really stylize it in any way sure. as long as those are your priorities. Yeah, it can be about your um, personal flavor at that point. For sure, for sure. Right. I guess, uh, so, you know, transitioning to our last sort of major consideration, mm -hmm. um, you know, the question begs to be asked. We've talked about standardization. Uh, you've certainly brought up that, you know, back when you were developing your training program, and, and I can certainly attest, I've long been involved in SCA, SCAA prior yeah. um, standard development and, and training um, and, and have certainly uh, carried those back to, you know, the respective companies that I've been working for and training at um, at the time. And, you know, I, I couldn't uh, appreciate more or champion more the idea of, you know, industry-wide standards. Right. But, you know, I, I think we'd be remiss not to bring up the question, well, is it in the best interest of any given roaster in their training programs to calibrate with these industry-wide standards? Why do it? Why don't do it? And, um, you know, if you're going to not do it, what, uh, you know, what should you consider for, you know, where to find yourself and where to find the things that you're going to then, you know, go out into the marketplace and say, we'll do it this way. Um, you know, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, it's a tough one because I am a firm believer in the standards that were created by the SCA slash SCAA or SCAE for our European listeners. Um, I, um, it, it, they were built with thinking behind them and they had been tested throughout the years and there's the good thing about them is it's it's not a an, you know it's this only there's a, a, a scale and you know, gold cup for example there's a range of wh where this fits in there and i think there within those limits are where you could find your individual expression of your product but i have seen roasters i was a judge in a competition 
that was clearly stated it was going to use the SCAA cupping form uh, and it was going to the it was a brewing uh, it was going to use the Roasters Guild uh, brewing standards and I had a roaster say well we don't use any of that stuff we've created our own standards which are far superior and we want our coffees judged on these parameters and we're not going to you know we don't care about you know the, the that group that that their standards are are garbage and it takes a lot of arrogance to say that and then come in and not deliver on anything unique new or better um i i think if you're going to go it alone you better have it well thought out why you're doing that and you be, better be able to approve beyond a shadow of a doubt that your method actually produces a better cup of coffee for your roasted coffee and you may have that. I've yet to see it. I've yet to see somebody create a standard that's better than. I've seen deviations from the existing standards that do work, but not just, I'm going it alone, I'm a maverick here, and this is what, what I believe. I've yet to see that play out. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, if anything, I mean, I think the backup for bucking the industry-wide standards is just that you found a tighter target within it right yeah that's fine well you know for this particular coffee we're going to work within this i've never found you know i mean to me that the greatest opportunity you're offering uh, a trainee in this context when you do embrace the standards is for them to find themselves in this wider picture right yeah and and to find place and you know that sounds real meta and and sort of like you know feely but uh, and, and it is, but but I think also you you stand to substantiate your point of view in a way that I don't think you can do uh, to someone when they're looking at you like okay cool you know hey you're here to tell me what to do and and uh, you know I may I may be new to this entire thing I may not um, but but either way when there's a hey here's the broader picture this is how coffee is brewed in general this is right. useful no matter where you take it. Um, and this is a fail-safe to fall back on in any case or question. Um, you know, there's tremendous value there. I think what what works when companies, uh, you know, are are essentially taking a position otherwise is is they're, they're you know, they might have already been well versed in these standards and decided well for our washed Kenya double A X Y Z coffee we brew it this way and we do this particular variance because we believe this actually sharpens the acidity and you know, refines the focus of the cup, and, and, and this is exactly what we want you to do in this context. And, and I think um, that and, is, is perfectly fine to do. But I think, like, even, you know, using art as a comparison, Jackson Pollock learned how to to draw, you know, figure drawing and different pr- d- disciplines to become a, an accomplished artist before he went into his own style. So you need that base. You need to have the fundamentals down to understand why you're going to deviate and then you're able to communicate that deviation and prove that deviation and and i'm all for that i mean i i, I think that in some cases in, in espresso the um you know the argument of temperature stability you know has still kind of bandied about in the brewing circles you know kevin knox uh, for years kevin knox of starbucks and and allegro coffee fantastic uh coffee mentor of mine um, you know, was adamant that cone brewing was far inferior to brewing on a flat bed. And mm-hmm. um, Nick Cho actually, uh, you know, picked up on that uh, and believed in that when he was 
you know, working with Kalita uh, brew, uh, uh, cones, and then he created his own December dripper uh, with this flatbed idea. And then later I, I saw, read some scientific paper that no, cone brewery actually can be superior. And so, you know, in that, the standards are being tested and challenged all the time. You know, Kevin's reasoning for his belief back in the day made sense. But it, over time it, and being tested, you know, there was some flaws in that theory. Now, he's probably going to write and want to kill me after saying this, and that's perfectly fine. I've, I've you know, I'll accept the challenge. But I, I, I believe that there are <laughs> there it has been, uh, you know, proven that uh, just flatbed brewing is not um, necessarily in or superior to brewing with a more conical shape. And, you know, same with espresso temperature stability. People have argued whether that's important or temperature surfing where you, uh, you know, you can temperature surf with uh, certain group heads. Uh, and then you look at, uh, you know, the changes in pressure that has recently developed where people are changing the amount of a pressure happening during the brewing process. And to me, I mm. always compared that to a lever machine. The spring is actually changing the pressure as it's as it's activated. Isn't that the same thing? So, yeah, there's a lot of wiggle room in there where the standards, you know, they don't cover everything. And there's a point that you need to still experiment and perfect your method. But I still think you need the fundamentals in place to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th I think the greatest for anyone who uh, say you're a, a small growing roaster and you have no background in coffee brewing whatsoever. Yeah. You know, your interest was, hey, I roasted coffee. People thought it was good. I'm going to grow the company. You know, there is a huge amount of value in getting involved in these wider uh, industry uh in wider industry focused training events, you know, through SCA and otherwise that will give you the perspective of a broad uh, industry fed, um, you know, brewing standard, uh, you know, that additionally, even if you are well versed, I mean, attending these, getting involved, investing in them is a tremendous uh, opportunity uh, around hearing how other people communicate and teach, you know, rolling in different uh, strategies, different tools, mechanisms. I mean, you know, to me, to go out and to take classes, maybe that I didn't need any sort of technical uh, piece from, but to actually just kind of absorb how someone else communicated the same information or even, you know, what types of activities they employed for, um, you know, an applied part of the session. This was amazing. And I think that, you know, you shouldn't undervalue getting out there even in the the context that you already know what you're doing you already know your standards um, there's a lot to be gotten from you know getting involved in these uh, industry programs just to refine how you're going to teach even if you're not necessarily reconsidering what you're going to teach so um, you know that's huge but you know to, to give a quick recap um, for for everyone you know we have industry standards or otherwise where to find ourselves within this we have you know the communication style and almost let's say quote-unquote treatment of the program lab informal um, you know how you're presenting and, and the whole marketing style and how that jives with your your uh, coffee brand um, we have the value of your trainer team structure and and you know how you look at that within your actual roasting company and of course distribution whether by training center 
um, whether in the field with your customer, monetizing, selling direct to consumer. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, any loose ends we need to tie as uh, as we sort of uh, come into the end of the coffee roaster and customer training here, Mark? I think the main loose end is that you you have to take training seriously as a company. You cannot get by with um, A, not doing it, and B, doing it uh, half-heartedly. This is something as important as developing your own staff if you have a retail environment, uh, if you want your brand to translate outside of your own control, which would be your wholesale clientele. I cannot emphasize it enough, the, the amount of uh, weight and importance and effort and resources you need to throw at this to do it right. And if you are able to do it right, it will be the difference between an incredibly successful wholesale program and a lackluster one. Absolutely. And and beyond just taking it seriously, I think, you know, the 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 to really substantiate that seriousness, you also as a as a primary, even as someone who, you know, you might even be a part of just the business structure sure. and you're you're thinking about this and you're like, well, it's so great that I have so and so to care about this for me. Um, but you know, you really need to show and set a tone from the from the top down, or, or in my, you know, in what I presented in our last set of episodes, um, you know, that from the bottom up, right, the inverse uh, hierarchy or the inverse triangle, um, you know, in terms of structure, um, you really need to set that tone of like this matters. You should be going through these trainings. You should be, you know, championing these standards even as you brew a cup of coffee as you're seen in your roastery. I mean, if you care about uh, standardization and methodology in terms of how your customers brew. This should be something that you know everybody in your organization cares about and is exploring, uh, even just in sort of the the respiration of the business day to day. But you've given Mike a ton of opportunity to follow up with additional resources. I hope that we can put him on the hook to. Uh, to, to add some of the scholarship about various brewing methodology and whether cone versus flat has been substantiated for better or worse. Yes. Um, you know, pressure profiling data and the, the, uh, the sort of uh, ups and downs of uh, pressure profile machines and lever machines in the marketplace. I mean, there's right. lots of, um, you know, journals and, and uh, articles that, that Mike, I, I'm sure, is, is dying to, um, you know, tie into the episode on... Uh, a, a print blog, uh, some sort of addendum here. Yes. Um, but but we'll just have to wait and see what he comes up with. Um, otherwise, I think that wraps it up for me. I'll let you take us out. But Mark, it was it was great getting to chat. It uh, was always. You know, uh, the coffee roaster and customer training. Yeah, that was uh, that was a good episode. I was looking forward to this one. Um, and as always, Todd, you you delivered uh, with your well researched points uh, and. Uh, <laughs> Try to make me look like a moron again. So, um, well, that wraps up another episode of The Exchange presented by Olam Specialty Coffee. For our producer, Mike Ferguson, Todd Mackey, and myself, Mark Inman, we wish you a good evening. You've been listening to The Exchange, presented by Olm Specialty Coffee, hosted by Mark Inman and Todd Mackey, directed by Mike Ferguson. Our opening theme was Coffee Chocolate Earth by Handmade Moments. Our closing theme, 
Funky Coffee by Paco. All music is used under Creative Commons. Remember, you can email us at theexchange at olmnet.com. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode. And now, your postscript. This poor bastard, what he has to go through in a day to get through. And if you had to train a customer on that, forget it. It's, it's just, it's impossible.